Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Joan Pettit. And I'm Armando Luna. We're broadcasting from Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is the show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. We cover bicycling, trains and transit, infrastructure, adventures. And today we talk with bike travel writer and map maker, Megan Ramey. I think folks are really going to enjoy this conversation. Megan's got so many interesting bike-related things that she's doing. She's involved yeah. in a lot. Yeah, totally involved in a lot. She's doing a lot of really interesting stuff that uh, really resonates with a lot of current issues uh, mm-hmm. around riding bikes and climate change and all of the intersections of those issues and and also just things that I like to talk about, like taking vacations with your bike or taking <laughs> vacations to places where you can ride a bike. Yeah. So I think it's, it's great that we are having her on before we do that though, I wanted to share with folks, um, information about a new podcast that I just heard about. And there's only been one issue or excuse me, one episode out, but I thought folks who listen to this might be interested in it. Armando, I don't know if you've heard about it, but, um, it's called arrested mobility and, uh, the description of the podcast from the website says, why are black Americans and other people of color disproportionately victims of overly aggressive police enforcement and brutality while walking, running, riding bicycles, taking public transit, or while driving, this podcast explores the ways in which people of color have had their mobility arrested. And it's hosted by somebody who I, whose work I wasn't familiar with before, Charles T. Brown, who is the founder and CEO of an urban planning policy and research firm. And they the one episode that came out was about jaywalking, and it was very interesting. I just listened to it the other day. So even if folks uh, don't want to commit to something like subscribing to a new podcast, this one episode on jaywalking was super interesting. And I'm particularly interested in content from black and brown people about cities and urban issues and transportation in cities and things like that. So uh, it was great to hear this podcast. And I'd encourage folks to Listen to it and also tell me if there are others that uh, maybe I don't know about that I should be listening to. Yeah, I think he was the I think he was the keynote speaker at the last active transportation summit I volunteered at, um, maybe oh. two eight, 2018, 2019. Um, okay. He was the keynote. Yeah, yeah, and and I should be clear that me not knowing somebody is not any indication reflection on them. <laughs> so I don't mean to suggest that this is like someone new to these issues. He is on Twitter at ctbrown1911, and so people can find him there. And he's a planning professor at Rutgers. I mean, smart, smart person, interesting things to say, good podcast. So hopefully more, more episodes will be coming out soon. It's our guest. What a treat. Welcome, Megan. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again. It's my third uh, time. Where are you? Third today? time. <laughs> yes. Wait. I know yeah. about one time. I didn't know this was your third time. I will have to dig back in. Yeah. yeah that's fir- great. My first time was with, and uh, so it was Brock and Aaron, and we, it was mostly um, just about bike about at that point. 
And then my second time I was accompanying my best friends, Galen and Jessica, um, Galen Mook and Jessica Robertson, who were visiting from Boston and they do a bike talk show at MIT's radio station. Um, But yeah, Brock is celebrating his 40th birthday soon. And so I was invited to do his little, um, what he's calling his top 40 albums or 40. Yeah. 40 albums from the past 40 years. And I get to be one of the voters. Ooh, yes, that's I, exciting. I saw that. That's yeah. funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah but, listen, to, but to answer to, your question, I'm coming yeah. from Hood River. Okay. Yeah, I listened to, uh, listen to that podcast recently to catch up. And uh, it's, it's just about five years ago from, from this week or from, you know, this month anyway. Um, and I was, was living here. 2017. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it, it didn't seem, uh, it, for some reason, it didn't seem that long ago. But yeah, uh, so bike about, I, I do want to talk about that. Uh, I also want to talk a lot about um, uh, your advocacy efforts. Uh, definitely want to talk about mm-hmm. e-bike stuff because yeah. uh, you just recently had the article and and like on your Twitter feed, it's been blowing up about e-bikes. And uh, I also want to, I want to have you tell the story about your cycle cross adventures too. Yes. Oh, <laughs> a lot. I, There's a lot and a little yes. bit of time. So. I know well, we, we've got a lot to discuss, but before we dive into that, for folks who haven't uh, heard the episodes that you were on, can you uh, introduce yourself? And of yeah. course, I'm just meeting you tonight as well. <laughs> Although- yeah. So yeah, I am, I guess in the simplest terms, a mom in Hood River who um, became an advocate in Boston in around uh, 2008 when I moved to Boston. Boston made me into an advocate because I moved there from Madison, which is where I was born and kind of raised. And so Madison spoiled me in terms of being a great platinum bike rated city. Grew up biking. But yeah, now I live in Hood River and I get to use all my advocacy boot camp that I learned in Boston here. Um, I'm the founder of Bike About, which was like kind of like my pet project in 2014. I started that. And yeah, I occasionally put on spandex and race cycle cross, which is so weird. Uh, I have a cat named Kubo who you guys can see, but... um, the audience can't see my daughter is 12 years old and she just started learning how to ride the urban aero cargo bike um, which is amazing and my husband um, is he, he powers me um, and uh, literally powers the bike about website with his photography skills um, and he works at Toferky locally so um, yeah that's Oh, and then I'm a big, big, big music nerd. Um, and I could talk about that all, all day. So, you know, I'm looking at a bike about which I hadn't been familiar with before. And what's really funny is I was just saying to Armando, we were just chit chatting and I was like, I just don't want to do all the work of planning all this stuff. It's so hard to do. And now I'm like, oh, look at this. Megan yeah. has done all. Like I have, fa- I was like, why, why doesn't somebody just tell me all this stuff? And like, here it is. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was the genesis of Bike About. I found myself, it was when my daughter was born. So it was just like an extra layer of mindfulness around 
trip planning, like it became much more important for us to know where we were sleeping and how, what bus we were going to take because her as like a nine month old, I think I remember our first trip was from Boston to Brooklyn and we were taking the Chinatown bus and I had to do all of this calling to the Chinatown bus to make sure that they could take our burly trailer and bikes underneath the, you know, like all those little details that mean so much when you have like an infant, you just can't hop on the bus. So um, that was why I started the website is just a way to document all the research I was doing so other people could follow in my footsteps. And I really did not know if anybody would find it useful, but it's so awesome to hear that <laughs> you would find it useful. But yeah, no, I have over 30, no, 30 travel guides now, exactly. Yeah. And and highly enjoy it. It's like a more of a paid hobby than it is money making. And Megan, are those 30 United States cities or are you do you have any um, other places? North American. So okay. Mo Montreal and Vancouver are the two Canadian ones. I'm dying, dying, dying to go to Mexico City. I might actually be going to Baja, like an area, but that would be a little bit more like gravel riding, um, mm. mountain biking, not so much. It's funny because since moving to the Pacific Northwest, I will forever and always be like an urban, um, urbanite slash, uh, I love cities. But since moving to Hood River, I've fallen more in love with rural and small towns. And I've learned how to mountain bike here, which I always like dismissed before as like, I don't know, it was the marketing I think that got to me like an extreme sport. And I was like, I'm not extreme. I just like to get out in the woods and, and play. Um, and it wasn't until some, the right mom actually, actually took me on my first ride and she was like you know it's just about getting on your bike in the woods that's it's as simple as that I was like oh okay cool but anyway yeah so bike about has expanded to be like cities towns and trails the biggest trail being the great Allegheny passage and it's um it's pretty <laughs> my cat just uh it's pretty amazing how popular the Great Allegheny Passage Trail route is and, and guide. I'm about to redo that one. Things are in bloom, but it's it's not summer here yet. And so the, the pictures there seem particularly attractive <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, that trip was a pretty unbelievable because I'll never forget. It was like November, December when we were living in Boston. And I got a call out of the blue from a girl named Christina from visit Bermuda or travel I can't remember what it's called actually and she was like would you like to come would you like uh to have your family come to Bermuda I was like of course why wouldn't I like what's yeah uh she's like well we'd like to bring you out and I was like what does that even mean she's like oh we're gonna pay for everything um your flight and your trip and your meals and we're just gonna show you a really good time and I was like are you joking because this has never happened to me before and they did. And it was like an amazing, it was February. And I remember we um, took the tea from our home in, in uh, Cambridge and it was 12 degrees out. And we literally wore everything we possibly could from our suitcase so we didn't have to pack. So we had like 10 layers on. And we get to the airport and we un, like 
do everything and we arrive in Bermuda and it's like 80 some degrees and it was just it was so blissful and I don't know if I'll ever get that kind of proposal and opportunity again but it was awesome well if you do and your family can't go and you need someone <laughs> to go with you you know uh, I, I might yeah, be yeah. able to go yeah that what a great opportunity that was I mean it, that sounds like a fun trip even if you were you know paying for it yourself and then for them to be yeah, yeah. well what usually a great, yeah. usually yeah. it goes uh the way it goes is that there's some sort of serendipitous reason why I'm going to be in a town anyway, like Tucson, it just happened. That was our 30th travel guide we just published. And so they had the e-bike summit and I reached out to uh, visit Tucson and said, Hey, I'm going to be there or I want to be there to go to the people for bikes e-bike summit. Uh, would you guys mind hosting me in a hotel so we can write a travel guide? Cause Arizona is not represented yet on our website and they were like yeah we'll make it happen and they found us an awesome place to stay it's like an old it's like essentially my dream business concept which is like a roadside motel turned into a bike hostel and it was it was wonderful yeah that's usually the way it goes is I reach out to the tourism agencies and kind of strong arm them into finding a hotel for me to stay in well, it looks like it's a fantastic resource and I know I will be using it to help me dream about some, some vacations, some bike, bike centric vacations. There's so many. Did you end up <laughs> attending that conference in Tucson? Yes, I did. And, um, I, uh, yeah, to be completely honest, I had a lot of mixed feelings about it. It was so amazing that it happened. Um, there were at least three times during the meeting that I almost, um, and it's funny because I like, like to think I can control my temper, but um, there were at least three times where I almost had to walk out because somebody said some inflammatory things. Um, whereas I don't, I don't know how much you're on uh, like bike Twitter, but like, I think somebody like Tom Flood or anybody from the war on cars or, you know, anybody that we like, they would have just kind of lost their mind. Um, and it was a little bit of like Debbie Downer, if I'm honest, um, like totally different. And we'll get to the um, op-ed I wrote about e-bikes, but it was like talking about a lot of the negatives, um, which was unfortunate, but, um, but at least they know what they're up against, people for bikes and regulation with, with electric bicycles. Oh, before we um, before we move on to electric bikes, I was going to ask you, uh, what is your mountain bike? Somebody's going to ask, what, what's their mountain? Oh bike? yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's funny because we had we had just had to tell somebody we had thirteen bikes, um, <laughs> and they're all so different. And I'm like, I am super Marie Kondo about making sure I everything serves a purpose and sparks joy in my house, whatever. But um, it's a specialized. Um, and I got it for $400 from a friend. Oh, wow. It was a hand-me-down. We've gotten all of our mountain bikes and cycle cross bikes as hand-me-downs. And I feel incredibly lucky because we can't afford to spend, I mean, like, I can't believe people spend like five to 10 grand on their mountain bikes and cycle cross bikes. So yeah, no, we're not, we're not those people. Yeah. That, so, uh... it, it's so good though. It makes such a difference in how I feel when I ride like I can climb anything. It's like 24 gears and it just blows my mind. Mm -hmm. So 
but you were saying. I was going to say, being in Hood River, I, it, to me, if I lived in Hood River, I might spend that much money on a mountain bike because I know I'm going to use it a lot. Um, but being in Portland, you know, unless you're driving out somewhere every weekend or during the week, you know, I, I don't see, I can't make myself make sense of that. Um, yeah. Cause I, I would I be the ride same. I couldn't ride it enough. Yeah. The bike, the bike that I would be most tempted to spend a lot of money on would be like a town bike, but that's exactly the bike. I don't want to have a super <laughs> expensive bike locked up around town, you know, that would yeah totally yeah no I um I feel really lucky with the whole mountain biking scheme here and that it really did change for me because I am such a um I never like putting my bike on a car unless I'm going to bend or you know someplace where I can't make the transit um sort of shenanigans work but I can bike directly from my house to Post Canyon and like be on the top of it in like, I would say 35 minutes and my daughter can bike with me. And we have a whole like total DIY tether system where I like tie her to the back and pull her up like the steep section, even though she could do it. I just wanted her to conserve her energy until she gets, you know, to the top top and, um, it's, it's wonderful. I get a great workout. We don't have to drive there. And it's like, it was beautiful during COVID because they weren't allow, allowing parking up there. And it was just, oh, wow. it was bliss. Like the beginning of COVID, like that first month. Right. Um, it was, it was so wonderful. Then they opened it back up and I, if you ever listen, if you're ever out there with somebody else and they can take a picture or video of you all with the tether system, I'd be so curious mm -hmm. to see how that works. That sounds like, uh, I like the idea of using it to like, give somebody just like a little bit of extra help if, for energy conservation, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah no, I, great. I'm making it, I'm making a note and I'm going to send you, I have, we have some good pictures of that. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll and it's, them with a, folks. it's a total, just like DIY rig with some leftover perfect. bungee cords. And <laughs> that's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. All the better that you didn't, you know, get some fancy bike tethers. It, yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure other folks will be interested too. I mentioned that about the, uh, about the mountain bike. Um, because I know, uh, a lot of people, if they're talking about their e-bike, they'll say my, my whatever, or their cargo bike, my whatever cargo bike, you know, you yeah. sort of call out what you have. Um, and so when you said mountain bike, I'm like, Oh, I got to know what you, what you <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause I, I do call out brand names with my other, some of my other bikes. I'm like, especially my Peugeot. It's like, Oh, my sweet spot <laughs> in my heart. Like it's like 1970s orange Peugeot and it's a single, well, actually it's a three speed now. And I love it so much. Um, it's how I actually train for cyclocross because it's such a beast that it makes riding my regular cyclocross bike feel like a Porsche. Um, so it's <laughs> a good strategy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny because all my teammates are like on their lightest bikes every time we're going out for like a ride and I'm like way in the back breathing really hard and they're all just kind of like joking around with me, but I'm like, how do you think I take myself seriously for these races. <laughs> uh, Megan, so I think a lot of our listeners know about Portland topography just because we talk about it a lot. But what about 
tell them about um, the Hood River topography. Right. So in 2016, when we moved here, I think I had visited prior to moving for, uh, for maybe three hours. And so Hood River was like a dot on a map of, oh, all this town is checking all the boxes on paper. It's meeting our car-free lifestyle. We get to be near the woods. And I was like, we're doing this. I didn't really look, I mean, besides the topography being such a draw, I never lived anywhere like the gorge. So I just didn't understand um, what it was like because had I known before I moved from Hood River or before I moved from Boston, we moved our work cycles Bach feats, which for anybody that doesn't know, it's a Dutch for a box bike. Um, we moved our work cycles freight and then a bunch, oh, and then my uh, Gazelle, um, my Dutch, heavy Dutch bike. Those are all gone now and they were gone within the first two months because I was using them to get around town and I felt like I was training for a triathlon because the hills are so steep. So it's like the equivalent of living in, I guess, Northwest Portland. I think is Northwest the hilliest or. Yeah. West. I mean, if you go the West Hills, the North yeah. or the West, yeah. the West side, the hills. Right. Yeah. Where there's just always like uh, a random road that makes it a little easier to go, but it's still a slog, a slog. And I found myself just like, I remember I think it was November of 2016, so two months in, and I was like almost crying because I was like, our biking lifestyle is just not going to work here. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to be walking everywhere. Um, and then I remembered the Pedago electric bike that we had borrowed to do the Great Allegheny Passage Trail. And I was like, okay, that's it. I just, I love our work cycles freight and I love our Bach feats, but it's like they're not functional here. So we just sold them, sold them to friends and then got the Urban Arrow from Clever Cycles and got the uh, Pedigo used on Craigslist. And I mean, that's just how we make life work here. It's a total game changer in, in Hood River. And it's funny, we were the second, I would say the second electric bike family in town. And now it's like there's over 200. It's, it's, oh, wow. so, ama- it's so amazing. And how, how are you keeping track of that? Is it like a group or you guys all talk to each other or? No, it's just by noticing. Um, it's unbelievable to watch the, the tsunami. And I, it really did start really taking off in like COVID, right around COVID time. It's like everybody I know now has a rad um, and all their friends. It's like this keeping up with the Joneses sort of thing phenomenon in Hood River where they're just buying an electric bike because they see it on their friends or their friends let them borrow it or yeah it's it's pretty phenomenal and so the two bikes that you got one was one was a cargo bike and the other um is just a a bike for a single rider is that right right so but we also use that's another like life hack and it's funny because i found out just in the past couple of days that other people do this so um, first, the first bike was the Urban Arrow, which is like, yeah, the, the box bike. And we call it the Batmobile. And that hauls everything we could possibly want. 
Um, and then the second bike was the Pedago. And that is technically their Ridge Rider, which is, um, they, they mark it as an electric mountain bike. And we figured out a way to rig the Burley Piccolo, the trailer bike. Mm-hmm. We figured out a way to rig that rack onto the back of the Pedago. And so now we were, I mean, my daughter is 12 now. She's still fit on it, but like not, she's big. So we were pulling her around mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then <laughs> I should send this picture to you too. So then to go bike camping too, or like to do random stuff around town, we can have the Pedago uh, with the attachment of the Burley Piccolo trailer bike. And then behind that, we can put the Burley trailer. So it's like a triple, (laughs) a triple uh, sort of connection. And it's just funny, the reaction that people get, like we can we can put all of our camping gear in that thing and go five miles down the road to Tucker Park. And it's like our favorite camping spot in the world. And it's like kind of like car camping, but bike camping. You know, I, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, maybe you were part of this Twitter conversation the other day, um, but there was I saw some chatter on bike Twitter about um, basically a cargo e-bike versus an e-bike with a trailer. Yeah. And how incredibly useful, right? And how versatile a setup that can be. Now, some people have a use case where they're just going to go straight for the cargo e-bike. Like maybe yeah. they are hauling kids around all the time. But as a, as, as, you know, if that's not your primary use case, but you want to be able to do that, that seems like um, there's a, I just got a burly flatbed trailer for just to pull behind my regular bike. I don't have an e-bike yet. Uh, and it's, I, I haven't used it that much, but, uh, there's so many great, yeah. Camping, doing a big grocery run, as opposed to just shoving everything into my panniers. I mean, there's so much, or I went, I used it to go to the pumpkin patch. I brought my house plants back to work, you know, like lots of, lots so utilitarian. Yeah. And I tell people this all the time. I wish I could see this Twitter thread now because, I tell so many people who are looking to buy uh, e-cargo bike and have sticker shock or whatever. I'm like, no, just why don't you start off with just a regular electric bike, figure out, make sure it can get a trailer attachment to it, get like a cheap burly trailer used on Craigslist, attach that. And then it's so versatile because you can leave the trailer home. You can attach it. You can put your kids in the trailer. You can, whatever you want to put in that trailer and what I love about it that trailer is like a mobile like wheelbarrow so you can pull that trailer for example to the waterfront in Hood River have your paddleboard or whatever in it detach it from the bike lock your bike up and roll that trailer to your picnic spot on the beach and it's just I feel like I it's like the ultimate life hack um it's so versatile. And I think it's funny because I'm thinking about like the Portland disaster relief trials. That might be my setup. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because then, right. Because then you can pull it around super easily. Even when you don't have your, when you're leaving your bike somewhere else. Mm. And you can detach the trailer if yeah. you need to get over barriers. 
Oh, right. So then, right. Mm, that's, that's clever. <laughs> we'll see. I don't want to, I don't want to say too much about it because I'm on the steering committee and I don't want to oh. give anything away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> so it's like, exciting. Is, it's exciting being yes. on the steering committee. Yeah. Yes. Super fun. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy you guys do this. Yeah. That'll be fun. Well, is this a good opportunity to talk a little bit about, um, about, I'm sorry, my audio was out for a little bit, so I didn't hear what you all were saying, but about uh, the piece you recently wrote for, gosh, what publication was it in? In Market Watch. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And we'll link to it in the show notes uh, so folks can can find the link there. But can you talk a little bit about what you've been writing about and talking about with people? Yes. So last Wednesday, one of the editors of Market Watch she reached out to me via Twitter and asked if I would be interested in writing an article about, or an op-ed, I should say, about gas prices and e-bikes. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is like what I've all been thinking about for the past like eight years. I've been waiting, I should say this, I've been waiting for gas prices to go up so I could have this conversation (laughs) Um, because I used to study and or uh, do consulting around behavior change. And I know in transportation behavior change that there is no carrot in the world, maybe besides e-bikes, that work as effectively to change behavior as gas prices. Second is probably traffic congestion. It's like the sticks that really change behavior fast. So to combine the biggest of big sticks, which is gas prices, with the biggest of big carrots, which is e-bikes, it's just uh, an op-ed I've been dreaming of writing. And so I was like, of course. But then I immediately had this, oh my gosh, I have so much. This is like a stock market website. Like, how am I going to talk about this? I got some guidance. I wasn't supposed to mention climate change, even though that's like, you know, a lot of why we advocate for what we advocate for, but I understood. And that cost and um, cost was definitely going to be a a barrier, but I should definitely highlight the joy. So um, I posted, it's funny because I wasn't even going to do this and I'm so happy I did, but I posted on Twitter like that I'm writing this op-ed and here are the top, you know, five or six barriers and incentives that I can think of. Um, number one being cost, two being infrastructure, three, um, ma- no, I didn't say maintenance. Just like the joy fun factor is definitely an incentive. The ability to, oh, the carry shit Olympics approach of like being able to put anything on your bike and it just being like a thrill to figure out what you can like carry. And then I had over, <laughs> I couldn't believe how much people weighed in. I don't know if they thought that I was just some writer writing about e-bikes and I didn't know anything about it, but it was, it was awesome to see, like there was a, over 400 comments and I think the biggest one was like weather. They thought people, they thought I just didn't think that was a barrier or whatever. And it's funny because I'm Swedish. So I'm like, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. So that's what I live by. And so I processed all of that 
And it was like, how am I going to fit this into 800 words? And um, I decided to go with the approach of, you know, e-bikes are so much goddamn fun and spark so much joy that you end up figuring out all the other shit. Like once you can figure out how to buy the e-bike, then the rest kind of sorts itself out or you um, talk to your community and figure it out. But yeah, so it was published last Saturday, this past Saturday. Um, yeah, 800 words. And I've gotten so much like positive feedback and it makes me really happy. I really do hope it like, I mean, I only want to write these things and or spend time on them um, really because I am so interested in behavior change, not just to like reduce carbon emissions, even though that's a big thing with me, but I just want people to be happier and feel more connected to their, <laughs> essentially their fellow humans. And I think uh, biking in general is like a, a major, a major tool in the toolbox for that. I, you know, I'll, we'll also link to that whole uh, Twitter thread in our show notes so people can see that. I, I think it's really important to emphasize the joy because I think even as people who ride bikes, getting on an e-bike does feel different. And I, mm -hmm. and I bike commuted for years and got on an e-bike last summer because it was super hot and I, it was like a hundred degrees. It was during that heat wave and I needed to go about two miles. Right. And I could not justify getting in my car for the distance, but I really did not want to get to that place and just be drenched with sweat. So totally. I just used, you know, one of our, one of our bike share bikes and, um, or the city's bike share bikes. And I didn't realize how much fun it was going to be. And there were a couple people who I said to, I was like, no, you just, and I actually like irritated a friend <laughs> because I kept talking about it and being like, let's go, let's go get on bike town who then needed to take one like a month or two later and was like, Oh, <laughs> I get it now. Like, and, um, so I think that's something because there was so much negativity and hostility in some like weird purist bike culture, even oh, though we yeah. bike around town, like that we got from, I don't know, I don't know, totally. roadies, right. There was all this negativity or like people were cheating. And so then to go from that instead to be like, no, not only is this not cheating, this is yeah. super fun. <laughs> like, yeah. This is, yeah. It's yeah. Like, no, it's, it's I... what you love about biking and it's more because you can do more. Yeah. And you're growing the pie. And I think when it comes down to it, I, I've gotten the cheating thing so many times. And I'm so glad that that one study exists now that essentially says, no, it leads to longer term weight management, uh, healthier lifestyles than actual bikes will. Um, I'm so glad that exists because I had a hunch and like, there's so many little random anecdotal stories. Now this person lost a hundred pounds, like bicycling magazine had that uh, guy that lost a hundred pounds and kicked diabetes. And it was all passive weight loss. Like he wasn't even realizing he was working. And I think that's so important because, um, it's just like, it doesn't have to be like health doesn't have to be, um, a chore. It can be fun. Um, and I always say e-bikes are, yeah, they are definitely cheating because they're like cheating at life. You just feel like 
it's like the golden ticket to life. And I wrote a blog post a long time ago. It was like four years ago now, three years ago about e-bikes being cheating at life. And now it's funny because there's so many, <laughs> there's so many blog posts written about, you know, how disproving e-bikes are cheating. But last year I took my, it was October and uh, Oregon Environmental Council reached out to me because they were doing a series of e-bike rides for policymakers. And I was like, oh, most definitely. Like that is the way we will change things super fast. Like not only does the policymaker understand the joy factor, they understand how addictive it can be. And they will start writing policies to not only improve infrastructure, but but gosh, for the love of God, give us like incentives, like give every person making less than 25,000 a year, like a free e-bike, that would change things best. So I got to take my mayor out on a bike ride and she bought one the very next day because of how much fun she had. I don't know what can be a better <laughs> indicator of success. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a e-bike evangelist. But I, I'm with you. Like if I lived in Portland or even in Boston, I don't know. I don't know if we would have made that transition to buy e-bikes because I'm I I was able to to ride around um, in Boston or Portland without needing it. But it does open up. I think um, what I've what I've heard is that it can really increase your range. Um, there are definitely times when. I do drive that I think that if I had an e-bike and it was just a little bit of a shorter trip, like time-wise for me, and maybe a little bit easier. So I I do think for range, and of course it depends on where you live in town. If you live, you know, up in the West Hills or or you probably are not biking. I mean, some people are, but (laughs) more people would bike home. If they, if they had an e-bike, but you know, we also do have e-bike bike share and they just expanded the range of it. So I know that there are a lot of people who, who use that. Um, and so they don't, they don't need to buy, buy an e-bike because they have access to that. So there are lots. When of you say things. range, do you mean like the station locations or do you mean the time that people can? Oh, well, what I've, okay. Yeah. So I saw some research basically saying that when people get e-bikes, they tend to bike a lot more. They replace a lot of trips, Uh, a lot of trips, like even if they were people who were already riding, like they were already bike commuters, right? So I'm thinking of somebody like me who, well, I'm not going to work all that much. I'm mostly working at home still, but I will be. And I ride my bike to work and, but there are trips that, you know, I do have a car and there are trips that I probably could do on my bike, but I don't, but that when people get e-bikes, they tend to bike a lot more. Even people who are biking a lot end up biking a lot more. Um, So when I say range, I mean, you know, so that 10 mile trip becomes something that's more reasonable with your e-bike as opposed to, um, I don't know. Someday, maybe we need to have a whole episode about what we're calling bikes that aren't e-bikes because that's a whole acoustic. I've heard no, that, and then I know. Uh, so <laughs> that was like the that was like the one fun thing that came out of the e-bike summit that I went to was like there was a whole focus sort of session on what do we call? Let's stop calling them normal bikes because it's kind of ableist. Um, 
And so like acoustic and analog were the two that came out of that. And I've seen acoustic used a lot on Twitter. So yeah, but. I've seen it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what sticks. Yeah. Well, my other thing, I mean, now now I'm off on a tangent, but I also think that we should start calling because electric vehicles could refer to e-bikes. So yeah. I think we should start calling electric cars e-cars because <laughs> I have this whole theory that EVs sound exciting and sexy and like this new exciting technology, whereas an e-car just sounds like, oh, it's just like an e-book or like email. It's just the e-version, whereas EV sounds. So if we want to sort of take some of the like romance and glamour out of it and also talk about e-bikes, e-cars, you know, e-books, email, all those things. So Yeah. And from a policy perspective, I just had to uh, submit a comment the other day to, for a Columbia Gorge climate action plan where the electric vehicle infrastructure they were talking about solely focused on infrastructure for e-cars. And I argued you need to also, because EV in, is inclusive of electric bikes, you need to include charging infrastructure for e-bikes as well as you know, making that potentially inclusive of like electric bike share or electric bike libraries for like smaller communities. So I I definitely agree that EVs should be talked about more as inclusive of e-bikes, but I like the e-car thing. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you've gotten a lot of uh, positive feedback to this piece, both within bike land, but also from I don't know, stock market land, the folks who might be the typical audience for market watch, not necessarily bike people. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was funny. She told me um, this, uh, her name is Sylvia. She's great. She really did a number on editing for me. It was so wonderful because I had 1600 words and she somehow pared it down to 800. So she knew what the story was to tell but she said that in the pitch meeting they kind of rolled her eyes when they all wanted to talk about electric cars and she was like um those are like 30,000 starting like like how about we talk about something that's actually obtainable for the people that are suffering the most which are um people that make less than 50,000 a year um and uh, electric bikes are that thing and the one of the guys rolled his eyes in the room and was like that's not really obtainable for people like um they're not really that functional and she's like you have a peloton that costs three thousand dollars that doesn't even move like anyway it was just like shit funny hearing her recap right can you imagine that peloton if it if it moved right yeah (laughs) I, I was hoping that what I wrote, because I think about my fellow like rural residents in Hood River Valley, there's a guy named Warren that 70 years old just bought an e-bike and he uses it to get to the grocery store and the winery. And he said that he wasn't ever thinking about leaving his car in the driveway and now it just stays there because he takes his e-bike everywhere. And I was like, that to me, and he lives like 20 miles outside of town. Like there is this forgotten like rural story and I really wanted to speak to them um, and or tell like talk about how all the cool stuff you can carry, like that really gets to the heart of like, 
you know, the guys. <laughs> I shouldn't be so uh, gender specific, but like I've had so many guys approach me at the hardware store, like that are just like twinkly eyed uh, brain, like you can tell it's just churning, like, like thinking about all the fun they could have with these bikes. So I was hoping that could come across. I wanted to, to call this out because it was something I enjoyed reading you tweet about this summer about your adventures from Hood River to Portland for cyclocross races. So if you can just talk just a little bit about that and, ex- and explain, you know, explain like the commute and, and how you decided to do it the way you did it. Yeah. So cyclocross season for, well, first of all, um, I feel like I have to explain what cyclocross is just so people kind of know it's like racing a, I, I shouldn't say 10 speed, but like, it's like racing a road bike through on and off road barriers where you sometimes have to carry your bike and it's like the race I do is 45 minutes so you do laps on this preset course you go as hard as you can for 45 minutes and I absolutely love it but cyclocross season is from like typically the very very end of August to uh, around mid-November and I've my biggest beef, I guess, with any type of sport is that it's always very car dependent. And I just feel like this is the biggest disconnect between, I guess, people that call themselves like outdoor enthusiasts and environmentalists. And there's just like this, like, can we not talk about how to organize our um, outdoor events so they're less car <laughs> like less carbon intensive and so for me I was so excited to see cyclocross on the lineup on the schedule there was the first one which was Bridge City which is like in um, gosh what's the park name in South Portland uh, that was in Oaks Park correct yes 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 that was super cool um, that's the first time I've ever been there. And so we used a combination of of transit and the bus to get to that one. And it was amazing to show up at a bike race by bike. I'm like, my brain is blowing right now because usually it's you're driving with your bike on a to a bike race. So the, uh, the next one we did was at the Portland International Raceway. Is that what it's called? And so we put our bikes, I'm on the board of Columbia Area Transit. And so I emailed my operations manager at uh, CAT, uh, Columbia Area Transit, and said, hey, I really want to have like promote it to my team to take our bikes on the bus is there anything we can do about allowing more, like if there's somebody in a, in a, a mobility device or a wheelchair, we will happily like not go through with the plan, but can we put our bikes in the back? And he's like, no, I can't do that, but let me just see what I can throw together. And he like dug out a Lolo rack, which are really expensive racks from, I don't know where he pulled this thing from, had it installed in 24 hours. And like magically we could fit nine bikes on like on the front and the back of the bus. And I was like, hallelujah, this is awesome. And so we put our bikes on the bus in Hood River, went to Portland, which drops you off. How many miles is that? It's about, I think, 50 from Hood River to Gateway Transit. Okay. And then Gateway Transit Center, you take TriMet 
to Lloyd Center, or no, uh, Moda Center. And then you take, you hop on, what is it, the red line to North Portland? I forget what the- oh, yellow, yellow, yellow line. Yellow, thank you. So I took that line up to the port, and it literally drops you off right at the Portland International Raceway. Biked, and so this is my daughter and I making the trek out there. And then we biked straight onto the race course. And it was just like such a beautiful <laughs> experience. And then from doing that, other people- who race in the cyclocross crusade saw that I was doing that. And I promoted them, people in Portland uh, doing the same thing to come out to Cascade Locks because that was like, that's like only a 20 minute ride for us. And it's about, I don't know what, like 40, 50 minutes for Portland. Yeah. So I'm hoping to like build this momentum where like transit friendly, cycle cross races are a thing that we intentionally plan and i i don't know you guys know how hagedorn with portland state university she i thought she was on the board of street trust anyway she um i think is gonna fingers crossed be on the board of the um the cycle cross organization that plans these events and she's definitely she understands like my yearning to connect racing to advocacy so I I, we have a we have a conversation about that. We had a episode that just came out about indoor bicycling and you know exercise bikes basically. And we had a conversation about you know because uh, somebody was basically gave, sent us a comment and said you know is driving driving your car to the gym to ride a bike uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. But then Guthrie was like, well, some people drive their car to mountain bike. So why are these things different? And, and I think it's one of the things that I like about, I, I lived, I started road cycling in a rural area in Western North Carolina, and I lived on a gravel road and there were some uh, pretty mean dogs in between me and where I was going to go. So I never biked. I never even walked down my street very far. Um, And one of the reasons I left that area was because it was it was like a simple life, except for the part where we we're so incredibly car dependent. And I love the idea of uh, finding more recreational opportunities that are not so car dependent, but that also allow us to maybe get out of town a little bit, or in your case, like go farther distances, get into the city in ways that most of us just default to driving if we have a car. Yeah, so totally. I think that's great. I think that's like a good spot for me to plug as like a cat board member that I'm so excited about um, this nine bike, you know, rack system on our buses that people in Portland, I, I can't encourage you enough to take the cat bus from gateway transit center to you can do it to cascade locks. You can do it to hood river, Mosier, the Dalles. And you can essentially bike one way, not from Hood River, you know, towards you because that's the interstate and that's not fun. But there's so many little bus plus bike adventures that are possible in the gorge now with the cat bus. And I, it's like some of the best biking in the world, I think. Um, You have the waterfalls, the coffee, the breweries. I mean, there's so much to take advantage of with that and you don't have to you know do 
80 mile round trips, you can do like a 30 mile ride and not have to cover the same. Yeah, that's a great idea. So that's the Columbia area transit cat bus. And we will also link to that to the show notes. And then I will also keep these tabs open and start doing some of my own planning because this is also, (laughs) this is also hitting my like, yes, I want to do that. And it's only $30 a year for unlimited rides. Oh, wow. Yes. It pays for itself in two trips. Yeah. No, $30 a year. Yeah. Unlimited rides. That's great. Yeah. 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 Up to the mountain, which we're going to start doing summer service um, from Hood River. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it'll be, you know, it's like a longer-ish drive, but you get to like check out and read the whole time. So yeah, there's some. Exactly. And it's 30 bucks. Well, Megan, if people want to uh, get a hold of you or get a hold of the stuff you've been talking about, what's the best way for them to do that? They can message me on Twitter or Instagram, and it's just the handle is bikeabout spelled without an e, so it looks like bikeabout. <laughs> or um, which I got, I everybody like I, I'm like, how many emails have I missed because of that misspelling? Um, and then, or you can just reach out to me. It's just Megan M E G A N at bikeabout.com, um, and that's on linked from my website as well. So, yeah. There's so many things I, I would love to help people with uh, planning vacations or whatever you have you want to talk about. Great. Well, thanks for coming back That's to the great. show, Megan. Yeah, yeah thank you so much. Time. It was great yeah. to meet you. Yeah, yeah, so nice to meet you, Joan. Yeah, and yeah. Armando in person. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yeah, I, I actually got to see a little bit of you racing um, out of, oh. for an international raceway, yeah. Cool. I realized that was you out there racing after I saw your tweets. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, gosh. Nothing will compare to this season I had. We'll see. It was such a great racing season. All right. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we're glad that you joined us. Have yeah, a good night. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Good night, y'all. Bye-bye. Night. Bye. Well, that was fun. I have a lot of uh, trip planning to do that now feels exciting (laughs) rather than I feel like Megan has done all the trip planning I need and I didn't even know. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting that, um, I don't, she's also, I I looked on her Twitter, uh, her Twitter bio and it mentions bike travel writer and map maker. And when I went to her website, um, she does have all these cool, awesome maps on her website of the places of the cities that, you know, that she has, uh, guides for, and they're super cool. And um, uh, that was really interesting. So that would be, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be cool to check out. She's got, yeah, she's just got lots of cool stuff going on. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find that now. Let's see. I've just got so many tabs open from everything she was talking about <laughs> that I'm not even sure where her bike about is anymore. Yeah. The Sprocket podcast is produced in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and tell your friends about us. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and Instagram at sprocketpodcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Herbert for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Richard Wazinski. Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Eric Weiss, Cameron Lane. Doug Cohen Miller, Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, JP Cooley. Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom. Anna, 
Richard G. Campsite. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Greenery. Jeremy Kitchen, Mr. T, Harry Hugel, E.J. Finneran. Brad Hipwell, Keith Hutchinson, Ryan Tam, Jason Oftenberg. Andre Johnson, Gregory Braithwaite, Chris Barron. Dennis O'Brien, Sean Baird, Dude Luna. Hey, that's me. Emma Rooks, Lillian Carabea, Spartandale. Philip M., Bike Initiative Keweenaw, Adam D. Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond, Greg Murphy, Guthrie Straw. Myra Martinez, Oso, Byron Patterson, Mac Nurse Davis. Thurston Graham, Aaron G., Rachel Moe. Jonathan Lee, Ami Ramani, Damiana Day, and Alan Kessler. And thanks to our newest sponsor, Andrew McGregor. And thanks to all of our former sponsors who helped us along the way. Now, brush your teeth. Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs>